We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 21, An Apple Red as Blood. The original air date for this episode was May 6th, 2012. The writers for this episode are Jane Espenson and David H. Goodman. It was directed by Milan Chalov, who we know from Skin Deep. The title card shows Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. We open in Storybrooke, where Regina and Henry are eating dinner at home when the doorbell rings. That dinner looked disgusting. It really wasn't good. Confused, as they are not expecting company, Regina answers the door to reveal Emma, who says that Henry invited her. Regina is appalled that Emma would assume she would let her in to join her and Henry for dinner. I didn't come for dinner, Emma says flatly. Then what did you come for? You, replies Emma. Regina turns around to see a darkened dining room, no Henry in sight. When she turns back to Emma, she is joined by Mary Margaret, Leroy, David, Archie, Ruby, and Granny. We all did, Emma adds ominously. Gasping, Regina whirls around to see Henry looming with a rope on his shoulder. We cut to the angry mob tying Regina up to a tree in the town square. She tries in vain to command them, but vengeance is theirs for the taking. Emma snatches an apple from the tree. It is black and turns to liquid as she squeezes it in front of Regina's horror-struck face. Rotten to the core, Emma says. Rotten to the core, core. Yes, sweetheart, we did just watch the whole Descendants trilogy. Now everyone knows. I just wanted to win for once, Regina cries. You took away our happiness, and now it's time to take away yours. David hands his daughter his sword, while Regina pleads for mercy to Henry, who she finds to be without mercy. You did this to yourself, Henry states. Emma swings back the mighty sword and brings it down, just as Regina awakens, gasping in fright. It was only a harrowing nightmare. She dashes to Henry's room, believing the lump of pillows to be her son safely asleep in his bed. Damn, Nightmare Emma was so hot, though. She is a stone-cold fox in it. She is. Like, damn. Overall, I just really liked the dream sequence. I thought it was great. Meanwhile, just as Emma and Henry reach the town limits, Henry realizes Emma intended for them to leave that very night and begins to plead with her to stop as she still needs to break the curse. Emma counters that all she needs to do is help him. They continue to argue until Henry desperately grabs the steering wheel. The car careens off the road but safely stops just over the embankment. Henry insists that they cannot leave, telling Emma that her family needs her in Storybrooke. Poor Henry. He's just like, I love you, Mom, but please don't kidnap me. There's important things we need to do. No, this poor little boy. <laughs> I know. Henry's just been having a few rough months. Like that. Really, about, really? About six has. months. Six yeah. Months. <laughs> It's it's like welcome to Once Upon a Time where things consistently just don't go that well for Henry. Poor Henry. Poor Henry. In the enchanted forest of the past, a captive Prince Charming is thrown before King George, looking so handsome in his best, most handsome costume. So handsome. So handsome. So handsome. My God. I took you in as my son and you betrayed me, King George snaps. All Charming had to do was marry Princess Abigail and he would have had everything. But Charming chose instead to follow his true love. Charming retorts that losing his life for love is a sacrifice that I'm happy to make. Ugh, so charming. <laughs> so handsome, so gallant. Charming is the best man. I love Charming. Love him. As you wish, the king tells him, before the knights force Charming over to the guillotine and prepare to off his head. 
Just as the blade drops, it turns into water and in saunters Queen Regina. She wants the man the king pretends is his son and offers to pay any riches King Midas has promised for him. George inquires what her plans are for Charming. Oh, I promise he'll suffer, Regina vows, by using him to bring an end to Snow White. In Storybrooke, Regina is frightened to discover that her apple tree is dying. She immediately goes to Mr. Gold for answers. He jests that perhaps it is her fertilizer. Yep, all of Regina's bullshit was bound to rot eventually. Oh no, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. (laughs) (laughs) Perish the thought. (laughs) Regina thinks the curse is weakening because of Emma. She notes that he does not seem to care, that he is content to sit back and do whatever it is he's doing, while all of my hard work burns. I'm just bamboozled as to why Regina thinks gold will do favors for her. He absolutely hates her. It's weird. Yeah, it's like, dude, how did you never figure out gold has been playing you? I guess it's just because of her hubris. Like, she doesn't think anyone would. I, 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 I you know, I think it's honestly because Regina is like, oh, for old time's sake. <laughs> and it's just like, old time's sake. Uh, what like, what I, fuzzy memories do you think are there exactly, ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I have no answers. It's dumb. That's all I got. Regina has never been the brightest crayon in the box. No. That's very real. No, no. Bless her heart. Calmly, Mr. Gold replies, that's not all, is it? He gives her leave to get everything off of her chest, but Regina plays dumb. He mentions that Emma wants Henry and that the curse was meant to take away Snow White and Prince Charming's happiness. Giving up Henry might be the cost of keeping the curse intact. I think I would rather just get rid of her, Regina says. Mr. Gold says she is going to have to be quite creative as the curse will be broken if she kills Emma. That's because you designed it that way, Regina reminds him. Undo it. He scoffs at that suggestion. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Magic is in short supply and dwindling by the minute. Regina finally has a light bulb moment as she realizes aloud, you want the curse broken. Why? Oh my God. <laughs> it, took, it, took, it took her 28 years and six months to, I mean, to figure we out. Just, we did just state, not the brightest crayon in the box. <laughs> I, like It really is like this huge light bulb moment for her where she's like, oh you want the curse broken why i mean she's pretty she's not smart yeah this is this is true (laughs) that's that's my official statement on regina she's pretty she's not smart thankfully mr gold is both (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry you walked into that Uh, it's fine you can have that one i gushed about charming a bunch he does not want to discuss it and regina doesn't care about his reasons anyway (laughs) (laughs) she literally says like i don't care anyway it's just like i get it you ask no it's kind of funny that she's like why do you want it broken he's like i don't want to talk about it she's like whatever i don't really care about your reasons like okay 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 (laughs) she wants to strike a new deal where she can get rid of emma without shattering the curse mr gold is not only uninterested he is planning a trip desperately regina offers him anything but he states she no longer possesses anything he wants He warns her to plan a trip of her own because once people wake up and remember who she is and what she did to them, they are going to be looking for blood. Later that day, Regina sticks a white rabbit card on Paige's bike at school, confident the right party will see it. Elsewhere, Emma returns back home to an extremely pissed off Mary Margaret, annoyed that Emma left so abruptly. 
Mary Margaret reminds her that when she attempted to flee, Emma went after her because they have to stick together because they are family. Emma apologizes and admits she didn't want to be sheriff any longer or have anyone relying on her. What about Henry? Mary Margaret asks, to which Emma Mumble confesses that she took Henry with her. Mary Margaret unlocks a new level of anger as she admonishes Emma for abducting her own son. Mary Margaret tells Emma she's reverting into the person she was before she came to town, but she has to do what's right for Henry. Emma inquires what that might be, but Mary Margaret tells Emma, you're his mother, that's your job, you figure it out. Because Mary Margaret has her disappointed mom hat on, like dang. Mic drop. Okay, first of all, Mary Margaret, shouldn't you be at work? Because according to that school bill that wrong literally seconds ago, school was just starting. But, you know, whatever, fuck it. This scene is so bomb. And I love this scene because Emma is having her shitty runaway teenager moment. And her mom is totally dressing her down for it. Complete with like monosyllabic flat effect answers. Like, I I took Henry with me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) She's so petulant. She really, she's like, I don't know. How should I do this? <laughs> and Mary Margaret's just like angry baking mm-hmm. cake. <laughs> She's like angrily like stirring batter and shit. And, and this scene is just glorious for their dynamic. Yeah, I feel like Mary Margaret intentionally called out of school that day just so she could be in home just in case Emma snuck back in, which is such a parent thing oh, to do. Oh, that's a great theory. Just so she can be there being like, and what time do you call this? Yeah, and then Mary Margaret taking like the angriest drink out of her cup of tea at the very end of the scene as like punctuation was perfection so good and like I have to call out how much I love the wonderful delivery from Emma of like the maybe with the Mm -hmm. frown like uh, yeah it was such a teenage daughter trying to get away with something overall great performance from both these ladies in this scene it was wonderful I'm hungry. Can you make me some pancakes too? (laughs) No, you're grounded. (laughs) Yeah, she's probably going to be like, yes, of course. I'm not going to starve you. I'm not that kind of mom. (laughs) What am I, a monster? (laughs) Back in the Enchanted Forest, Snow White is planning her move to rescue the prince with the seven dwarves and granny. Red brings news that the queen is there too. Snow is going on with the plan anyway, despite the trap the queen is setting for her. Her friends move to action while Red pulls Snow aside to ask why the queen is doing this. I destroyed her happiness, Snow says, and now she wants to destroy mine. Sweetheart, you were like 10. Regina is being a dumb shit about this. I'm sorry, but I have to say that. Anyway, inside the castle, the queen visits Charming in the dungeons. She first attempts to pet him, but he swats her away, saying whatever Snow did to the queen, he will gladly offer his life instead. Regina tells the prince she has a far more satisfying brand of punishment for Snow. She slinks away, showing off a juicy red apple as she chuckles wickedly. Was it just me, or did Lana put a weird English accent at the end of some of her words, like, allure? Like, she might have. I didn't yeah. notice. I didn't notice either. Okay. Like, no, I gotta watch just to, like, see if I can catch her being real weird. Yeah, it, it was, <laughs> like, there was a noticeable spin at the end of some of her words that I kind of sat up and was like what the I feel like she's done that before in other episodes so I wouldn't be overly surprised okay I feel like I don't know sometimes she gets into her wicked queen persona and she just starts talking weird that's all I got yeah okay (laughs) fair enough she's just really in the moment Mm -hmm. in Storybrooke we have a hot boy alert hot boy Jefferson, the Mad Hatter, enters Regina's office, acknowledging that he got the quote-unquote message, the White Rabbit card. 
Unable to resist taunting him, Regina coos that it must be painful for Jefferson to be so close, yet so far from his daughter Paige. It's Grace. You know it's Grace, because you changed it, he replies venomously. She tells him she wants his help. With barely contained quiet rage, Jefferson asks Regina why she assumes he would not kill her, but she says he doesn't have it in him, as he would have done it 28 years ago when she first brought him there. Also, I'm pretty sure Jefferson was locked in that house until Emma showed up. So who's to say that he wouldn't have originally? Oh, he was. And that's probably the only reason we still have Regina, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Because I'm sure were he not locked in that house, he would have gone for it. Mm -hmm. Regina offers him a glass of liquor as she says she has a way for them to both get what they want. Wordlessly, without ever breaking eye contact, Jefferson dumps the white rabbit card of the glass of brandy. What a legend. We stand a stand. Hell yeah. Yeah, that move with the card was perfect. What a king. Regina sets the glass away and brings forth his old hat box, which he opens. Frustrated, Jefferson says he cannot make the hat work without magic. Well, then you're in luck because I just happen to have some. Not a lot, but hopefully enough for one last journey. Regina wants him to help her get rid of Emma. The answer, which lies in an object, is back on their homeland. Jefferson wonders why he shouldn't just let Emma break the curse so that he and his daughter can return home. To your hovel, Regina scoffs, selling fungus at the fair? Why, when you can just stay here in the mansion I gave you? Regina says that their problems are the same. Family. They both want their children back, and they can do it if they work together. She offers to wake up Grace, but Jefferson adamantly protests against that, saying remembering is the worst curse. Two lives in her head, like me. Instead, Jefferson wants to forget for a new story to be written, a fresh start in Storybrooke. Regina says he can have that after we take care of Miss Swan. (sighs) Stop blackmailing this hot dad, Regina. Jesus H. Christ. (laughs) Also, like, why does Regina think this plan will work? Because Henry is going to blame anything that happens to Emma on Regina, and that would ultimately, you know, turn him further against her so like Regina you have not thought this through like whatever you know you're planning on doing at this moment is only going to drive your son further away yeah to to that end I mean like Regina has the emotional intelligence of a kumquat and she just (laughs) like cannot ever ever see that far you know beyond her own nose basically and she just lacks that kind of foresight because she's so tunnel vision on this kind of shit yeah that and also she's pretty not smart yeah yeah she hyper fixates which doesn't allow her to see what else is going on no she definitely suffers for from a forest for the trees type syndrome Mm -hmm. also i do want to mention this i don't think it's ever explored like i've never seen once upon a time in wonderland um but it's evident although it's never explicitly said that clearly like jefferson actually has like money management problems so in that comic where we learned like about priscilla which is grace's mom like he and priscilla lived a pretty fat and fabulous life um, like they had a big house, they had, you know, a lot of stuff, but they, they went through their, their goodies and treasures and, and, and spoils of their thievery, I think, a little bit faster than they were recouping. And then after Priscilla died, you know, he retired his hat. So, you know, the money then dwindled for sure. And that's, that's how he became impoverished with just him and Grace. 
but I don't think it's like ever like explicitly said or explored, but um, I remember seeing a panel like of, of like his former house or something like where he, he lived. I'm not sure where, probably just still the Enchanted Forest or something, but you know, he, he lived, I think a, like a nice life. Yeah, if I remember correctly, Regina has like a throwaway line about like now he's living in squalor as opposed to how he used to. Yeah. And but I can... think that's the most it ever gets touched on in the actual show. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not, it's not ever, um, yeah, explicitly explored because mm-hmm. it's just, it's just not something that they, you know, it's just not a direction they went into. And then, yeah. you know, Sebastian Stan gets plucked out of TV and put into the big ass Marvel machine. So, yeah. and, you know, they felt like it was more conducive to their time to spend a million goddamn episodes talking about fucking August instead of a <laughs> character we actually give a shit about like Jefferson. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding, right? Oh my God. I mean, I'm not bitter about that. I don't know about you. No, not at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have rather seen all of that screen time go to Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, shit, oh, yeah. I would have loved to have seen like the Priscilla backstory and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I, I would have loved that. So yeah. No, instead we just get August rolling around on the floor yelling about his wooden leg for 25 <laughs> goddamn episodes. <laughs> his wooden leg named Smith. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We return to the Enchanted Forest, where Snow and the others wait in anticipation. From off in the distance, Red howls, giving the signal to head toward the castle. One of the dwarves sends a flaming arrow skyward, signaling the Blue Fairy and her Fey army to attack. Snow gets up on the parapets and begins shredding up some knights, with little help from Grumpy and the gang. They dash inside the courtyard, but are soon outnumbered and cornered. The swarm of fairies descend and knock the knights out with fairy dust bombs, allowing our heroes to continue on this rescue mission. I know I've said this lots of times, but Snow and Grumpy's friendship makes me legitimately happy. There's a scene in this section with like the whole fight sequence where Grumpy swoops in to bludgeon a guy who is going for Snow's blind side and they share this quiet, hell yeah, you got me smile. And I just love it. He literally always has her back and it is so sweet. Yeah, I noticed that moment too. And it was just, it was a, it was a really cute moment. I'm just yeah. very soft for their little friendship. That's I am great. too. Cause I, for all of Once Upon a Time's flaws, I do like that there are friendships between male identifying characters and female identifying characters, like who are adults, who without any sort of like weird expectation, a, expectation yeah. Oh, yeah. Or I have to be in love with this person in order to like, you know, justify speaking to them. It's like yeah they're they're just friends yeah and there's never any expectation on either one's part right also uh, don't even get me started on the fucking fairies and their dust bombs and i'm just like ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like like you're supposed to be like the most powerful original power and like this whole thing like with the swoop like a swish of your wand you could f- fucking end this whole nonsense she's not gonna she's not no of course she's not gonna of course <laughs> she's not gonna are you are you kidding <sighs> fairies man fairies oh on the topic of fairies i think it's a good thing to bring up is that the blue fairy plays Belle in the descendants movies well i mean we have already brought up descendants once in this episode so yeah she's Belle. she's Belle. it's just sad that is no shade to that actress it's just it's completely tainted by the fucking blue fairy that's all so very sweet i could see her playing bell i guess (laughs) (laughs) 
keep going before I say something that's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to finish up. I didn't I'm, want to I, talk over you. <laughs> I'm finished. Okay. Back in Storybrooke, Henry dashes to August. Yay. Mm. Telling the other man about Emma wanting to leave. You are going to make her believe, Henry says. You have to. August solemnly apologizes for having failed at this like everything else in his life because he is a giant failure. He tried to show Emma his agonizing transformation back into wood. August shows Henry his now wooden arm, the first visual proof Henry has about the curse, who excitedly realizes that August is Pinocchio. And I need to say that I hate the wood CGI on August's limbs. It's revolting to look at. It is really off-putting, but I gotta say I do love Henry's little face in this scene as he finally gets concrete evidence that he's been right all along. Like, it made me really happy for him. My my investment in the happiness of this kid and, like, the background music all came together to make me honestly a little emotional in this scene. Yeah, Henry's pure joy at seeing visual proof of the curse is everything in this scene yeah it's great but can we also appreciate how incredibly morbid it is that like he's like i'm turning into wood and i'm literally dying and henry's like oh my god amazing (laughs) i guess that's true i guess that's true i didn't think of that in the moment god love him henry you're I was gonna say, boy. Lynn, yeah. pick pick a tone, pick a side. Okay, we hate August. Oh, oh no, I think it's great. <laughs> if anything, it makes me love Henry even more than I already do. That there this man's go. just like, I'm dying, and Henry's like, Oh my god, yay! <laughs> yeah, but it's a it's a really important moment for Henry, and it, like it makes you feel, despite August being like, I'm dying horribly. Henry makes you feel really good because this is the kid who people have been telling him he's crazy this whole time. Yeah. Like literally telling him he's crazy. So to have this this proof, this concrete proof, like what a great feeling that must have been. Yeah. Also, August is dying. <laughs> Makes me feel good. <laughs> Moving on. August explains he's changing back to wood because he hasn't, quote unquote, been a good boy. Ugh, far for Rue. God, yeah, no, it's the most disgusting line. And I hate it so much. And also, like, duh, I said it last episode, you're literally dying because you're a shitty person. So I don't know what sympathy you want me to have here, but I don't have any. (laughs) August further explains that Emma can't see his wooden appendages, and lucky her, because she doesn't (laughs) want to believe. With what little time he has left, he wants to spend it with his father. Everyone is giving up, Henry notes sadly, as August sees him to the door. I don't have a choice. August answers with a sigh, officially dropping out of Operation Cobra, which, yeah, okay, you were never in Operation Cobra, you sack of crap. Now it's up to you. No pressure, kid. Sucks to be you. August loves shoving all responsibility on members of this family. Last week was Emma. I mean, to be fair, that is the example he was given. That's true. Geppetto. That's exactly what he learned from Geppetto. Exactly. From Geppetto and the Blue Fairy. Mm-hmm. Fuck all of them. Yeah, but he still sucks. <laughs> no, we're not denying that. <laughs> Meanwhile, at Granny's Diner, Emma talks to Dr. Harper for advice, but he thinks Emma would have a difficult time making a case for custody, especially as there is no evidence to prove Regina's crimes. Archie poses the question, with this war raging on, who is really getting hurt? Henry, I know, but isn't it a good thing that he's spending time with me? I'm his mother. Yes, you are, Archie replies before gently adding, and so is Regina. Hashtag Henry has two moms. 
Archie also lists off the various actions and behaviors that Henry has displayed since Emma came into his life. Skipping school, stealing credit cards, putting himself in repeated danger, not to mention chucking apples willy-nilly in the street and drinking expensive juice out of the carton. <laughs> Emma pushes Archie for further support, asking if he thinks Regina would ever hurt Henry. No, never. He answers adamantly before adding, everyone else, yes, but not Henry. He says that Regina's actions have all been defensive, as if Emma's arrival has woken a sleeping dragon. He stresses to Emma that this war has to end. This is an excellent scene with some really meaty Archie lines. Um, he seems to be the only one honoring the fact that Henry has two moms, that Regina front-loading 10 years of care counts for something. And I think it's also worth noting that he's just doing his best, and this is a very crap situation for him to be stuck in the middle of. He is legally anyway would be stuck in the middle of it because he's the boy's therapist. He is, and, I, it, and he's just, he's doing his best, and he's a good man. He is a good man. Yeah, this is a great little scene, and I absolutely loved Archie's delivery of everyone else, yes, but not Henry. Archie really does understand, like, the basics of the situation. Gina's not a good person, but she loves her son, and she's doing what she thinks is best for him. Even if what she thinks is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. In the Enchanted Forest, Snow finds Charming locked up in the last cell of the dungeon. She unlocks his cell, but once she steps inside, she realizes he's not actually there. She's only seeing him through a mirror. Charming reveals that the queen has taken him to her palace. But I'm rescuing you, Snow replies mournfully. Oh, that was such an excellently delivered line. I really felt her pain and sadness and hopelessness. It's so incredibly sad. It breaks my heart. Like, um, I got a little teary at this part. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm also a big old sap, but yeah, that, but I'm rescuing you. Oh, oh, I felt it. I felt it, man. Right in the filios. Right in the filios. My heart. They place their hands on the glass of the mirror. She wonders if this is how their life is going to be, taking turns finding each other. Charming tells her to have faith before he vanishes and the image of the queen appears. She offers Snow a parlay, telling her to meet, quote-unquote, where it all began. Snow prepares for the parlay and heads off, despite the dwarves and Red's protests. Keep the little knife between your tuffets, advises Grumpy. That is the best line of the week. It's good. It's <laughs> real good. It's a great line, and it's not said in a skeezy way. It's not. No, he says it like in such an earnest, pleading way. He's like, at least keep the little knife between your tuffets. Yeah. I feel like Grumpy doesn't get enough credit for as good as he is. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, he's a Grumpy great character. Oh, so good. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like Grumpy deserves more credit than he gets. Mm -hmm. I love him. He's a good. He's a good. Red says that Snow is too noble for her own good, but Snow says she is not willing to risk anyone else getting hurt because of a beef between her and the queen. Right. Except the queen has magic, so she's always armed. I love you, Snow, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, Snow absolutely understands she is walking to her death or something like it, but she's doing it to protect everyone else. Yeah, I think she never had any illusion that Regina was going to play fair. Regina just wanted to make sure that she had the advantage because Regina will always have her magic, like you pointed out, and Snow knows that. Yeah. Snow's just being the better person here, even if it's, you know, would potentially be getting her killed. Because Snow good like that. It's no good like she that. Would. She want to protect her friends. She want to protect her man. She got to save her himbo. On that note, we return to Storybrooke, where Regina leads Jefferson to the underground vault where she keeps her magic. 
He puts the hat down, but it doesn't spin, prompting Regina to offer the hat some magical trinkets, but it isn't enough. Jefferson needs something that still works. Regina looks at her ring from Daniel, which is glowing with magic. Reluctantly, she gives it to Jefferson's hat, which immediately begins to spin, but not enough to open a portal. Jefferson says there might be enough magic to reach the other side and retrieve a small object. Jefferson tells her to guide the hat to the time and place where the object exists. Regina concentrates and the hat begins to spin. When Jefferson inquires what they are after, Regina says, an apple. In the enchanted forest, Snow shows up for the parlay at the stables where she caught Regina and Daniel kissing. Regina looks so much like Cora in this scene, which I'm sure is 100% on purpose. This was a conscious choice showing us, you know, she's become her mother. She's now standing in the exact place her mother stood about to ruin the future of another young couple in love. She's become her mother, the person who did in fact ruin her life over the course of her misguided revenge. Yeah, but how could Snow White have done this? Yeah. (laughs) As Regina guides them across a field and up an incline, she reminds Snow about the runaway horse and saving her life. Regina stops in front of a headstone, revealing it to belong to Daniel, who Snow thought had run away. Regina tells Snow that Daniel died because of Snow, insisting that Snow's inability to keep the promise secret safe allowed Cora the opportunity to murder Daniel. And just... Oh my fucking God, Regina. You even just acknowledged that Cora killed Daniel, not Snow. He died because your mother is a sack of shit, not because of anything a little girl said. Good Lord, I'm so over this. But anyway, (laughs) Snow reminds Regina that she killed her father. Haven't we both suffered enough? No, Regina insists. The queen presents Snow with an apple that would render Snow's body into a tomb in which she'll live with nothing but dreams formed of her own regrets. She has to eat it willingly, but if she doesn't, Charming dies. I'd forgotten about the extra layer of the curse in this version, but I think it's a a nice touch since a simple sleeping curse wouldn't have really lived up to Regina's cruelty she's shown so far. But being trapped in a prison of your own regret for eternity, that checks out. I mean, woman's nothing if not spiteful. Yeah, Yeah, very, very thorough in her spite. Mm -hmm. Her misdirected stupid spite. (laughs) Snow congratulates the queen for winning and takes a bite of the apple of her own free will. Snow crumbles to the ground while the prince wakes up in his cell calling out for Snow because he knows the queen has done something to her. The apple rolls out of Snow's limp hand and down the hill where it falls through a hole and Jefferson catches it in Storybrooke. Regina now has what she needs and has to figure out how to get the savior to quote unquote taste her forbidden fruit and phrasing Regina. Oh my God. Hashtag teehee dirty. Yeah, that line is impossible to say without sounding dirty. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know, but I'm just like, <laughs> ma'am, this is a family show. <laughs> ma'am. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
We cut to Regina whipping up some apple turnovers. Just then, Emma shows up and wants to talk to Regina. She goes inside and tells Regina that whatever is between them needs to end. <laughs> Dirty. Yeah, well, <laughs> we've just discussed that whole forbidden fruit thing, so... Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Emma tells Regina she's leaving town, but she wants to be able to visit and spend time with Henry. Regina is dissatisfied with this deal, but Emma says that in any deal, both parties are a little unhappy, but they can't pretend Emma is not in Henry's life. Just as the timer goes off in the kitchen, Regina agrees, and they move into the kitchen. Just what are you proposing, Regina asks as she takes out the turnover. We'll figure it out as we go along, Emma replies. But he's my son, Regina asks. Emma hesitates before agreeing. Emma turns to leave, but Regina calls her back to give her the turnover. Emma looks suspicious at first, but ultimately accepts it. <sighs> Emma, Emma, Emma. Emma is basically a raccoon. She isn't going to turn down free food, even if it's us. I mean, same. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> in the enchanted forest, the dwarves in red find Snow lying lifeless on the hill. Red realizes Snow sacrificed herself for true love. The queen is watching all this through a mirror in her castle, cackling with wicked glee. She changes the mirror's view, reviewing a rage-filled Charming shouting, still locked up in his cell. In Storybrook. Regina parades back to the pawn shop to boast about her ingenious solution to her Emma problem. Mr. Gold is disinterested until he realizes she made magic for magic, reminding her that all magic comes with a price. Then you can pay it, Regina sasses like a brat, telling Mr. Gold that he's going to be staying there in Storybrook, right where he belongs. She tells him that whatever plan he had, whatever the reason was he wanted the curse to be broken, is never going to happen. <sighs> oh, Regina, you haughty little brat. Uncle Stiltskin is not going to take you trying to trap him lightly. Meanwhile, Henry visits Emma at the loft, where she tells him about her decision to depart Storybrooke. Naturally, Henry is very upset and pleads with her not to leave, insisting that Emma is just scared, which happens to all heroes, the lull moment right before they fight back. Falling to her knees, Emma tearfully tells Henry that this is reality, not a story, and he cannot skip school or run away or believe in curses. Emma said she used her superpower, Regina, and she was telling the truth about taking good care of him. But Henry doesn't care because Regina wants Emma dead, and Emma is the only one who can stop her. Stop her from what? All she has ever done is fight for you. Henry launches at Emma, fiercely hugging her around the middle. Something catches his eye. It's the apple turnover sitting on a plate in the kitchen. After Emma reveals that Regina gifted it to her, Henry insists that she can't eat it because it's poison. Don't you see? Henry asks. The deal was just to trick you to get you to eat that, to get rid of the savior. Emma argues against Henry's theory, saying there's no reason for Regina to poison her when she is leaving. As long as you're alive, you're a threat to the curse, and your leaving isn't going to change that. Emma decides to prove it to Henry, who grabs the turnover before his biological mother can. I'm sorry it had to come to this, Henry says. You may not believe in the curse or in me, but I believe in you. With that, Henry takes a bite of the turnover. Emma's about to offer him ice cream when Henry collapses. Henry, like Mary Margaret, is too good for this damn place. End credits. So this is a really good episode, which is why I honestly didn't have a lot of commentary on it. Like, I can talk for years about the stinkers, but when the episode is actually good, I'm like, uh... I do love how much this episode showcases what a capable badass Snow White is, though. 
Once Upon a Time doesn't get everything right, but it does with that. I also just adored the whole of the Enchanted Forest banding together to help her. It actually made me a little emotional. Yeah, this is a great episode. And yeah, for the same reasons, I, I really have nothing more concrete or of value to add that I, we didn't already say within the context of the episode. I think, yeah, the Enchanted Forest scenes were actually more to my liking simply because for the same reasons like that you had said, it was just all the Enchanted Forest friends banding together with Snow White to defeat the evil queen. And ultimately it even, it just wasn't, you know, I don't want to say good enough. They just weren't capable of beating her, you know? So it's like the darkest hour mm -hmm. of the night you know, kind of episode. And we get to see the iconic sleeping curse of Snow White, you know, finally take hold. So yeah, I don't know. Like my, I guess, I guess I think my, my only complaint in this episode is uh, not enough Jefferson. Yeah. Okay. I'll get on that. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, I just want more Jefferson. Like, I feel like we should have seen him in a couple episodes. <laughs> like after I think Hat we should have taken any screen time we were going to devote to August and given it to him. Yeah. Truthfully. Truth. So not enough Jefferson aside, I also have to agree that this is this is a great episode. This is you know the penultimate of the season and I think it's stellar. It's it's one of my own personal favorite episodes of the season. Um, it's strong from start to finish. Uh, it has a compelling narrative in both the Enchanted Forest flashbacks as well as in present day Storybrooke. It really gets to you emotionally with Snow and her friends banding together to save Charming and Charming and Snow's missed connection rescue. Mary and Margaret and Emma's talk. Henry begging Emma to be a hero and and believe in him and then you know taking a bite out of the poison apple himself to both you know protect emma and to show emma the truth like oh my heart this episode really is a showcase of what i love about once upon a time definitely i wanted to watch the next episode so bad after this one ended i'm just like season one finale here we come i'm so ready overall this is a great one this is one of the best of the season yeah all right costumes we got to see sexy Sebastian Stan again. Oh, yeah. Looking, looking like a snack. Well, yeah, looking like a snack. I was just going to say in his gothic <laughs> steampunk. Hot dad. Yeah. Hot gothic hot dad. steampunk dad. Yeah. 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 But man, oh, man, what the hell was up with Queen Regina's hair in the, in the Enchanted Forest flashbacks? Did I say Enchanted Florist? That's yes. okay. <laughs> we still love you. Enchanted Forest flashbacks. There you go. <laughs> I'm so upset that, <laughs> I, that I've taken out my enchanted florist. <laughs> it was so badly teased and it looked like a hissing fluffed up skunk. Yeah, it was very bad. Her costumes are gorgeous. Yeah. You know, in this episode, we get to see the red riding outfit again and the purple gown again, both beautiful, but her hair was a wreck. And my only thought was, is that she like had teased to mimic the height of Cora's hair. Like, I think that's what they were going for, but Maybe. It, it didn't look good. <laughs> it looked like Pat Benatar stuck her finger in like a socket. Well, that's not nice to Pat Benatar. No, it isn't. But Pat, <laughs> Pat Benatar would not do that because she's not stupid. So she always no. looks perfectly quaffed, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it, it does have like that kind of like 80s backcombing puff. Yeah. But, but in the 80s, like, you know, for the most part, it was done pretty well. Like only the really, really terrible, <laughs> really terrible bands had the uh, the unfortunate skunk you know i think the other episode we saw where she had this backcombed hair was actually skin deep 
So same yeah. director might be a choice. <gasps> oh, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, because Regina has definitely had that in multiple episodes. Yeah, she had it in another episode, but you are right about Skin Deep. Mm-hmm. That's that's when I went on the tirade about her bad 80s hair. Yeah. Huh. And yeah. it was kind of a similar trend in that one, too, where they gave her a really killer outfit and, like, the worst hair ever. Bizarre. It's a weird, consistent thing where it's like they'll give her an absolutely stellar outfit and then be like, but you got to have the worst goddamn 80s hair with it. And she's like, all right. She's like, uh-huh. I suppose <laughs> it's a living. <laughs> but I did, I did appreciate we got Bandit Snow again because yes. that's like one of my absolute favorite costumes in the entire series. It is, it is one of the best it's outfits. The, oh, yeah. we, we had a, I guess snowing in general looking their best because we had one of the best oh, yeah. charming yeah. Episodes, outfits as well. Yeah, his his most handsome, handsome outfit. Yeah. S- snowing, snowing on fleek this episode. <laughs> there we go. That took a minute, but I got there and I think we should be proud of me for it. I'm very proud of you, babe. Thank you. Time to play Who's That Guest Star? In which we give a little background info on the guest stars. I miss someone who I thought would return in future episodes, but according to IMBD... He doesn't, so that's either a mistake or they they do replace him. So here we go. Just to cover my own base. From episodes 11, Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, and episode 18, The Stable Boy, we have King Leopold, who is portrayed by American actor Richard Schiff. He has a long and impressive string of credits to his name, including Dr. Aaron Glassman in The Good Doctor, Mr. Anderson in Ballers, Zimmerfield in Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, Toby Ziegler in The West Wing, and too many more for me to list. So Richard Schiff, you're a good actor. You just played an asshole in this series. Which isn't his fault. No, not at all. So in episode 21, we have Faustino DeBauda as Sleepy, a.k.a. Walter. DeBauda has enjoyed roles in TV shows such as The Babysitter's Club, The Good Doctor, Descendants 3, and Supernatural. Jeffrey Kaiser as Dopey. Kaiser has very little on his IMDb, with his most recent credit being Once Upon a Time, ending in 2016. Previously, he had been in Harry Beck and The Dagger of Fate, Eureka, Psych, and R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour. I think that's like Canada's version of Supernatural or something. Because yeah, <laughs> <that's interesting. laughs> I swear to God, I mean it's not, but it's <laughs> it's just so funny how how we've many... had a lot of a lot of a lot of people be in that. <laughs> a lot of people who are in that, and I don't know how many seasons that had. So that's something to look up. David Avalon as Doc. Canadian actor David Avalon has a sparse IMDb and has been credited under many names, including David Paul Grove, Paul David Grove, and Buck. His voice acting gigs include RoboCop, Alpha Commando, Beat Bugs, and Ed, Ed, and Eddie. You can also catch him in guest roles on TV shows such as Stargate Atlantis, Andromeda, The Outer Limits, and Supernatural. Mig Macario as Bashful. Philippines-born Macario began his career with a smattering of guest roles on 21 Jump Street. His guest star and recurring credits include Ruby Herring Mysteries, Everest, Fringe, Hellstorm, Criminal Minds, and The Order. He is also a long-practicing Buddhist with the Soka Gakkai International, a community that promotes peace, culture, and education. He volunteered in the Philippines during the aftermath of Typhoon Haiyan and supports the yearly walk to end Alzheimer's. 
I thought those were some really nice facts for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gabe Cuth as Sneezy, a.k.a. Mr. Clark. Oddly, he was credited playing both Victor Chris and Patrick Hawksetter in the original 1990 TV movie, It. And for those of you who don't know those names, those are the childhood billies of the Losers Club. Kuth is mostly known for his voice work with roles such as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation, Star Ocean EX, X-Men Evolution, Project Arms, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, The Beginning, Toko Underground, Dragon Ball Z, Mobile Suit Gundam Seed, Powerpuff Girls Z, Keto Senshi Gundam Double Zero, Dead Rising 2, Fruit Ninja, Beyblade Burst, Zoids Wild, and Supernatural. Unfortunately, two years ago, Gabe Kuth suffered cardiac arrest while riding his motorcycle and subsequently died. On an even more personal note, Kuth had a congenital heart defect, as does your narrator, me, Chell. So pour one out for my heart brother, Sneezy, friends. To Sneezy. To Sneezy. To Sneezy. Achoo, brother. All right. Well, it's time to take a bite out of the timeline uh, with Once Upon a Timeline. Uh, This one is pretty easy to place uh, within the last 20 episodes. The flashback scenes here directly follow the flashbacks from episode 16, Heart of Darkness, which ends with the dwarves pledging to help Snow rescue Charming from King George. And then, of course, the episode ends with Snow White under the Queen's sleeping curse, which we see Prince Charming awaken her from in the first flashback in episode one, Pilot. So these flashbacks take place after episode 16, Heart of Darkness, and before episode one, Pilot. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, the season one finale. With Henry under a sleeping curse, Emma begins to understand what's really going on in the town of Storybrooke as she risks everything to save her son. Meanwhile, flashbacks reveal Prince Charming's quest to save Snow White as he must face the powerful sorceress Maleficent. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, Emma, don't take food from Regina, you raccoon. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all pod devices come with a price. You know a woman tried to frame your friend for murder? Don't accept food from her. Regina's tried to do so many murders in the time you've been here. Why would you eat food from her? Don't take food from Regina, you raccoon.